Well, uh, good morning again. Uh, We have been reading through the Gospels together this fall, and for the first few weeks of doing that, we are looking at some of the healings of Jesus. Uh, Healing is one of the the primary ways that Jesus served people, and and that's often how he described himself as a servant, as the one who came to serve, as the one who came uh, for those who are not well, as the Good Shepherd. And so this morning, uh, we're going to read from Mark 9, which is a story about a, a desperate father who brings his boy to Jesus and ends up praying a prayer that has been echoed in the hearts and on the lips of the faithful and the hope to be faithful ever since. I'm going to read from Mark 9 for us, verses 14 through 29, and you can follow along in the order of worship if you'd like where it's printed. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when the disciples had entered the house, they asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is God's word, and it is given for our good. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, we just heard in that, uh, in the New Testament lesson that was read that people like us, we live by faith. And so we ask that uh, you would help us. that you would prop up our faith, that you would heal our faith, that you would help our unbelief. Father, as we think about this word that we've read and heard together, show us the word that bears our flesh, that has done everything for us, 
the word that is praying for us right now, show us his mercy and his grace and his goodness and his love and change us by it. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, the other day I had a, I had a good, uh, long day at work. Uh, it was not the kind of long uh, that drags out, you know, that feels like it won't ever end. It was not the kind of long where you can barely stay focused or awake. It was not the kind of uh, day that feels just long and complicated and unfinished and you just feel like for hours you have been spinning your wheels. I mean, I, I definitely for sure have days like that. I figure that all of us do. And um, if for some reason you don't, I don't want to hear about it. But this day was not like that at all. Uh, It was long, but it was long on things that I needed to do, and more importantly, long on things that I felt like I am suited to do. It was one of those days where my schedule and my abilities kind of overlapped, and I felt, you know, useful. And I felt this satisfaction, and I felt joy, and most relevantly for this particular story that I'm telling you, I felt ready to drop into bed (laughs) and to sleep the sleep of the just, as they say. I seriously could not wait. I could not wait to get into bed. And I know you know how that feels sometimes where you think this is going to be so good. (laughs) So I rolled up to the house in this uh, tired but very happy state. And as I was strolling up the sidewalk to the front door, my phone buzzed. And it was Allison, my wife, calling from inside the house. And I thought, man, could it get any better? You know, she's still awake. So we're going to be able to recline together and chat for a while and share in this satisfaction. And uh, I answered, and Allison, skipping all, all pleasantries, said, hey, when you come up, I need you to bring the stuff from the laundry room. The sheets for the bed are in there. The bed is not made. We need to make it together. And church, if I could have, I would have crushed that phone to powder in my hands. I could not imagine hearing anything worse than that in that moment. How could my day turn like this, from this great height to this very low low? Which sounds dumb, of course, to say now, but it is precisely how I felt before I grabbed all the stuff from the laundry room, just like Allison told me to do. And I bring that up because I wonder if Peter and James and John felt something similar at the beginning of the story that we just read together. Mark says that they came to the disciples. They came to the disciples, and by they, he means Jesus and Peter and James and John. They have come down off of a mountain from a trip that just the four of them had taken together before this story starts. It was just the four of them, and what happened on that mountain is what we call um, the transfiguration. You can read about what that is at the beginning of uh, chapter 9, but I can summarize it. As, uh, As Pastor Dan put it in a sermon he preached on the transfiguration a while back, this is what happened up there. The veil of ordinariness around Jesus was pulled back for a little bit. And those men had gotten a taste of the overwhelming and indescribable glory of Jesus. They had felt it. They had seen it. They had experienced it for one inscrutable moment who Jesus really was. And they heard a voice, too. And it was a voice they knew had to have been God himself saying, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
So to say that it had been a really good day for those guys, <laughs> it would be a wild understatement. For his part, Peter was so beside himself with fear and joy and, and desire. <laughs> for his part, Peter wanted to live. He said, why don't we just live up on this mountain for a while? That's how good it was for Peter. You can imagine them kind of floating their way down the mountain, feeling like giants who could take on the world. But they get down off that mountain, and there is nothing but chaos. And there is nothing but trouble to greet them. There is no tranquil scene. There is no peaceful respite. A big unruly crowd rushes them. A bunch of scribes are arguing with the friends they had left behind. There is a desperate and scared. And at the very end of his rope, father, there is a boy who has been harassed and mistreated and threatened by pure evil every day of his life. That's what's waiting for them at the bottom of the mountain at the end of that very, very good day. From such great heights they have come down into the valley of tears. And I don't know, church, I think the transfiguration followed by tears, it sounds about right. <laughs> it sounds about right. Joy and sorrow, laughing and sighing, happy shouts and cries of pain, all mingled together. That is how life as you and I experience it is. That is how life is as we know it. We might want to write the script differently if we could write the script, but we don't get to write it. And it matters a lot, I think, for people like you and me to remember that when this beloved son came to be with us, when he came to dwell with us, he would not have it any other way for himself. Jesus did not skate across the mountaintops untouched. Jesus did not go to carefully scripted events with the right people in the right places. He walked around with exactly zero insulation, church. Zero insulation from the immense pain of a world that is broken. He waited every single time. He waited directly into the heart of chaos and pain. Where there was sadness and where there was tears, he made a beeline towards it like he was looking for it. Because he was. The beloved son did not come for those who are well. And that means, you know, lots of things. But there are two things I want to say that it means. First, Jesus not skating over the mountaintops means that you can be sure that whatever chaos you may be feeling right now, whatever pain you may feel, whatever trouble you may find yourself in, whatever you feel just about at the very end of your rope about, whatever that is, Jesus will absolutely meet you there. He will meet you there with his healing grace. And I know, you know, I know there are probably some of us here this morning who feel like, or maybe we, it's not even really about what we feel like, we know. We know that the trouble, the, the, the pain that we find ourselves in is stuff that we have brought on ourselves. We know that we have caused it, and there is no one else to point the finger at, even though we really want to point the finger. And so maybe you feel um, ashamed to have Jesus show up. Or maybe you feel like he won't show up for somebody like you. 
And all I can say is that he could not have made it any clearer than he did. He did not come for those who are well. (laughs) He didn't come for those who are well. He will definitely meet you wherever you are with his forgiving grace. He meets anyone who calls him in faith. And that is at the heart of the story. And the second thing I want to say that this means that Jesus didn't just skim around in all of the glory and all of the goodness. It means if we follow Jesus, we're going to go to where the pain and the chaos and the trouble is too. That's where he is going. That's where he goes. And so people who follow him go there too, just like Peter and James and John. Jesus did not look at that chaos and retreat back up to the mountain. He stayed, and that means they did too. So Jesus spies this chaos. He, he looks at the scribes and the nine disciples they had left behind. They're arguing together. They, he looks at this crowd that's rushing up to him, and he asks, what are you arguing with them about? And that's when this dad emerges, <laughs> this father, to tell this story. Well, I brought my son to you, Jesus. There's a spirit that seizes him, and it makes him mute, and it throws him down. He grinds his teeth. He foams at the mouth. He becomes rigid. Later on, Jesus asks this guy, how long has this been going on? And the dad says, it's been his whole life, Jesus, his whole life. And I know this thing wants to kill him. It throws him into the fire, and it throws him into the water. This thing wants to destroy him, Jesus. You know, we look at this and it looks like it is at the very least epilepsy, but we should not be mistaken. It is not only that. This kid has been battered. He has been abused by evil relentlessly for his whole life. And this dad is at the end of his rope until he heard about Jesus. And so he brought him to where he thought Jesus would be. But Jesus is gone up on the mountain with Peter and James and John. So he asked the other nine guys who followed Jesus around if they would cast it out. And they were not able to do it. The B team has failed. And it's confusing them. And the scribes, they see this as an opening to start scoring points for themselves Church, at the bottom of this mountain, this is a convoluted, chaotic, troublesome scene. There's loose ends hanging out everywhere. And the very first thing that Jesus does, the very first thing that he does in the middle of this chaos is remarkable and maybe a little unexpected. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I going to be with you? That is a lament from Jesus. That is an analysis from Jesus of what's really going on at the bottom of that mountain. That is a warning from Jesus. And that is an invitation from Jesus. It is all of those things at once. And it bears fruit as the story continues and resolves. But for now, that I, ho- I hope that it's obvious this is what Jesus has done. He has centered faith or the lack of it, at the very heart of this story. This whole thing is about faith. And it only takes a second to see how this all begins to work out. Jesus asks for them to bring the boy to him, and they do. And right away, this malignant thing starts doing its best, trying to get its last licks in because it knows that its seconds are numbered. 
This is what the presence of Jesus does. It is like a vicious howl of imminent judgment to evil. It knows it is finished. This is the essence of the healing ministry of Jesus' church. It's how he did it then. It's how he's doing it now. It's how he will always do it. He returns things to what they were meant to be. He undoes brokenness and he undoes fallenness and he restores creation. When Jesus heals, it is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. And it is a promise that one day the kingdom of heaven will be all that anyone sees anywhere. But first, but first, the Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, church, you have to remember, he's the one who brought his son to Jesus in the first place. You know, he had heard the stories at least, and who knows, maybe he had even seen Jesus heal people. I mean, this guy, this father, would, his sense would be that Jesus would have compassion. His sense would be that Jesus is able to do something. That's why he brought his son, but church, he's been shaken now. He's been thrown off by the fact that Jesus' disciples were completely unable to help. He's been thrown off by the chaos that's going on around all, all around him. And, th- and then it's happening again. It's happening right now. It's happening to his son right then in that moment. So, of course, of course this dad finds himself back in that shadowy place between fear and faith. He finds himself in that little parcel of human existence between believing and not believing, but really wanting to believe. He's not accusing Jesus from that place. Do you understand? He's not accusing Jesus. He is just probing, just feeling around to see if he can step out of that shaky, shadowy place onto something firm, out of that shadowy place into some kind of light. And of course, Jesus meets him there with this strong, outstretched hand. I mean, even if this guy didn't know it at the time, he had heard the invitation in Jesus' words about this this faithless generation whose horizon is limited to the closed world of only human possibility. Limited to just what we could see and taste and touch and hear in the present moment. That closed world, that parcel of human existence where we stumble around under the massive, defeating, unlivable weight of thinking, it's all up to us. He's heard Jesus' invitation and he has his shoulder. He has his shoulder resting on the door of that world. And he is poised to get out, but he's not yet sure if he could. And Jesus pulls the door open. If you can, (laughs) if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately, church, immediately it is enough. Immediately, Mark says, the father of the child cried out and he said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. 
I have faith, Jesus, but it's fragile and it's small. I believe, but sometimes it's hard to believe, Jesus. I I have trust, but my trust gets mixed up with my fear and my doubt. It gets shaken up. It gets unsure. I second-guess my faith, and I guess that means I second-guess you. So help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus, because I'm kind of messed up. Heal my unbelief. And church, this kind of prayer never, ever, ever has been a surprise to God. He has been dealing with people like us. He's been going back and forth with people like us for a very long time. He did not come for those who are well. And the sooner we get easy with admitting that that means us, the more healthy and whole we will become. Jesus' love for the fearful and for the doubting, it is inexhaustible. Jesus' love for the shaken up and the unsure has no end. He's always reaching across into that shadowy place with the the strong hand of love. He's always pulling that door open from the other side. He is always calling out faith. He is always saying, if you can, (laughs) you haven't seen anything yet. Listen, a thin little splinter of faith in Jesus is more than enough. And it is more than enough precisely and solely because it rests in him. It is not the strength of our faith. It is not the purity of our faith that opens that door. It is the one on the other side who opens that door. The beloved son, and if he is the object of our faith, it is more than enough. That father tethered his faith to Jesus, and it was enough. Jesus restores his son to health and life. He casts the spirit out. Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him up, and he arose. So you fast forward to later that night. And Jesus' invitation uh, about that faithless generation, it goes out to the disciples too. They get that same invitation to realign realign themselves, not with a faithless generation, but with a faithful one. And with the disciples, it is admittedly less dramatic. And maybe that makes it easier for people like you and me to try on for size. They say, hey, Jesus, why couldn't we pull that off? And Jesus says, well, that kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer, guys. And a lot of stuff comes into focus. A lot of things become clear. It appears that the nine had been going about their work prayerlessly. Like they could pull it off on their own with their techniques and their skill and their expertise. Ian, our our director of children and youth, put it like this in a sermon that he preached last summer on this story. They had grown accustomed to the power but had stopped communing with the one who gave them that power. Indeed. They were prayerless, which is another way, frankly, of saying faithless. Now, Mark doesn't tell us if it landed with those guys, but I sure hope that it did. I have to imagine that it did. I have to imagine it landed really hard, and maybe a few of them said a little prayer behind their hands, a prayer they had learned earlier that day. I believe, help my unbelief. St. Augustine said, let us pray 
that this same faith by which we pray may not falter. Let us pray so that our faith does not falter. We believe. Help our unbelief. Let me pray for us. Father, you know that all of us in one way or another have found ourselves with the shoulder on that door, wanting to push through and unsure. And so we ask that in your grace that that you would remind us by the Spirit that the Son will throw that door open every time, that he will greet us and pull us from that shadowy place where faith and doubt are mingled into faith and rest and hope. Father, we ask that you would remind us of the Spirit, that we would rest in Jesus with all that we have, even if it's just a thin little splinter of faith. Do this so that we could grow up in our faith and mature as the people you have called us to be. Do this so that through us you can love this broken world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.